It's the Forage Connection, grazing, growing, and feed with your hosts, Ben and Sarah. Today, we're talking all things corn silage. Joining us is Dr. Hanato Schmidt, the Forage Production Specialist with Lalleman Animal Nutrition. Welcome, Dr. Schmidt. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to talk about, you know, silage. And uh, I'm originally from Brazil. I grew up on a dairy that became a beef operation. Then I came to U.S. to pursue my uh, PhD with Dr. Liming Kang at the University of Delaware. So I did a lot of research with uh, silage additive, silage management. And then I started working with Lalaman, which was a pretty nice transition because I still use a lot of what I research on my daily task, on my daily routine. So I've been in the company for the past 15 years. I do tech support basically in all, all North America. So uh, whatever people need some help, I'm traveling and helping on site or even just by emails or a webinar or something. Sounds like you definitely have some experience. So it'll be exciting to see what, what you have to share with us today. So we're uh, today going to be talking kind of all things corn silage and just trying to go over a kind of thousand foot view of the process as we get into corn silage harvest um, season here in the Midwest. And I think maybe the first thing to start off with our conversation today, Dr. Schmidt, would just be, um, you know, going over what are we talking about when we're talking about silage and especially kind of what that fermentation process um, that we're trying to achieve with silage harvest and, and production, what that looks like. Yes, Ben, uh, as you mentioned, it's a fermentation process. So as a definition, and I really like this definition, the silage is a anaerobic process for preservation of forage crops of adequate moisture content. And if you think of like a chair, you have all these four legs and uh, moisture content is one of them. So you need that proper moisture range depending on the forage crop. Also, the fermentation is a lactic acid fermentation. So there's a conversion of these simple sugars. Ideally to lactic acid, that's a very strong acid that will pickle everything. And uh, we're talking about uh, anaerobic fermentation. So the presence of air in the forage mass will be the primary factor that negatively affects this process. And the final one, it's the right microbes that will do this job. So we talk about the moisture, about the sugars, that's the fuel for the fermentation, the lack of oxygen or no oxygen, and the right microbes. So we know that the plant comes from the field colonized by microbes and the ensiling is a naturally occurring process. But we want to make sure that it will be very efficient. So that's one of the reasons why to use a microbial inoculant is just to direct that uh, fermentation. And uh, I think the, uh, the ensiling process is, I would say it's more like a, a run to make it the most efficient as possible to retain the majority of the original nutrients and dry matter. But there are always going to be some losses just because we have all that process of fermentation, the harvest, the feed out and all those things. But in the end of the day, we're just trying to make it really efficient. Maybe a little bit of a follow-up to that. You know, there's there's lots of different ways when we're talking forages that we can go about harvesting, um, you know, in animal feed stuffs. What makes, I guess, silage maybe a, 
a better option or, or why are we choosing silage instead of trying to take something for hay or, you know, in this case, we're talking corn, you know, a lot of times we just take that for its grain. What makes silage an option that we want to be looking at from a, a harvest standpoint? Yeah, I think in terms of uh, corn silage, I would say mostly is the consistency of the food, of the feed. And uh, especially for high producing, you know, dairy animals, that will be really important to have that consistency in terms of the nutrients. And with the corn silage, there is that good blend of fiber digestibility, as well as on the energy side with the starch. So it's really, and it's a plant that it's very insilable. Let's say it's really easy to insile. So you have all these different characteristics. It's, it's just easy to, to pickle. You have that consistency. And there's a pretty nice overall tonnage or yield and the fiber and the starch size that I just mentioned. Corn's pretty popular in our area. So that helps too. We've got, we've got the market for it. And on a, a dry year, especially, right, there's really some opportunity there to salvage grain crops if you know, it's an issue that does make ensiling quite enticing when you don't have much of an ear or are struggling to make a good grain crop. Speaking of corn in the field, what do you think, Dr. Schmidt, how do we get the most out of what we have in the field when we're talking about silage? Uh, I would say it's important to, to monitor the crops, walk the fields, and see what it looks like, um, assess any sort of uh, challenge during the growing season. As you mentioned, oh, there is a, you know, a drought. So what should you expect, for instance, there is a drought normally, it's gonna lead to a lower yield, uh, lower accumulation of starch, but on the other hand, the plant has a lot more of these soluble sugars. So this will start impacting the fermentation because you have all that, you know, amount of sugars that will make it more prone to spoilage so then the fermentation has to be direct in a particular way so i guess it's it's just to be aware of what the situation is also drought you could have some issues with uh with the nitrate accumulation so it's more like okay this is my starting point and sometimes we cannot deal or control or sometimes we cannot control weather but you can always try to do the best with the management. So it's, what I would say, is just know what you have, know what the challenges are, and what's the best that can be done from that particular situation. Absolutely. Even when we have a great year, environmentally speaking, we still have that catch of making sure we harvest at the right time. So what are your tips for getting great harvest timing uh, for corn silage or any silage? Uh, for corn silage, uh, one like rough estimate and, and just like a starting point, I think, would be when the, uh, with the tassel emergency and the difference between the tassel emergency and the time that you should be harvesting for silage, it's about 35, 45 days. So again, you're walking the fields, you, you see what it looks like, and then you have already like, okay, I should expect maybe six weeks or so. Some people still like to go with the milk line, and I don't think it's a really like a reliable 
indicator. It can be a good guide in the beginning, but there are so many different uh, corn hybrids and so many different traits. So sometimes you're following that milk line, but it's still very immature in terms of moisture. So I think you can rely when it's about a quarter of the milk line, and that would relate to maybe 30% on the dry matter. But ideally, I would say 32 to 38% dry matter would be the range for corn silage. That's the best uh, compromise in terms of yield, the starch accumulation, starch digestibility, as well as on the uh, fiber uh, characteristics. So not only fiber digestibility, but also the, the physical characteristics of the plant for a good packing. So if someone wants to use a more accurate method than milk line, how do you suggest going about testing that silage to know what moisture you're at? There are several different uh, methodologies and you're at the farm, you want to do, you know, as, as fast as, as possible. So there are some um, handheld NIR devices that they are available. So they, of course, you need the device and you have to pay a subscription to to be able to see the readings and the database and everything um, you can also have you can see this online like several different methodologies you can use a microwave uh, you could use a air fryer or a food dehydrator and um, also there is the, there is the equipment the coaster but uh, the coaster on my experience it kind of overestimates the dry matter so it's normally a couple of points drier than it is. And I had to learn that on a, on a hard way <laughs> when I was in grad school, that we'll go to the field and chop some plants and, and run the coaster. And it was like, oh, it's ready to go. And when we were filling up the back silos, you could see some of the juice just run. It was like, oh my goodness, that's, that's not what we were planning. So I would say there are all these different methodologies and I would just uh, recommend to stick to one of them because there will be some difference between them. But as long as you have one methodology and you have that sort of consistency. And I would say it's the same thing as grabbing a sample and submitting to a lab A or submitting to a lab B. So there are, there are like different calibrations on the equipment. Uh, the person that's running everything, it's, it's different, has a different uh, experience. So just you stick with one methodology would be the best. And you have all these different types of techniques that can be used. Definitely. And you mentioned the microwave. One thing I've learned about the microwave test is you do not do that in your house. <laughs> it does not end well. Your family will not be happy. It smells. So uh, do that in the shop. <laughs> I, I might ask or, or throw in there, you know, I really appreciate that thought about figuring out and, and kind of sticking what works for you. You know, we have producers that do the the hand squeeze test and they've done it enough times. They know that roughly the feel and, and they get pretty darn close. Um, you know, they've, they've harvested silage enough that they know um, what they're looking for from that standpoint. But as we're looking, you know, a lot of times, at least in our neck of the woods, we've got custom choppers that are coming in, you know, a, a lot of the operations that put up silage, you know, aren't big enough to have their own chopper. Um, and so they're kind of a little bit at the beck and call of whoever's 
able to make it in, in their time schedule. And so we're not always hitting that perfect window from a moisture standpoint. And maybe we're jumping a little bit ahead on the conversation here, but you know, if, if we go into a field and we see that we're a little bit wetter than what we should be, you know, is there really anything that we can be doing? The chopper's there, they're ready to go, they want to go. You know, what, what can be, we be doing when the moisture content's not exactly where it should be? Uh, hmm. Yeah, specifically on corn silage, when it's, you know, the maturity follows these, you know, the dry matter. So when we decided to harvest and it's too wet and too immature, then you have those issues with the excessive moisture and the seepage and all that liquid, you know, that it's, it makes contamination, lost nutrients, uh, odors, all those things. Also, so much moisture inside of that forage mass will lead to a more extensive fermentation. So what I mean is a dilution type of effect that the, the microbes need to produce more acid to pickle everything. And this might lead to a, you know, a high acid load. I don't think, I never heard of an actual like animals backing off from the bunk because of that. But also you're going to be losing a little on the energy potential of that corn silage because of the low starch accumulation. Now, if we talk to the uh, customer harvester and, and, oh, can you come a little, a few days later, you know, you think of a 0.75% dry down per day. But then when it comes back, it's getting a little too dry. So there is no actually added yield to start having some issues with the uh, low digestibility of the starch just because the starch granules form like a matrix with the protein in the kernels. And also this might lead to uh, issues with uh, poor packing because of all the oxygen that's trapped, it's harder to pack. Also high probability of molding or, or some fungi activity. So it's they're, they both have these minuses, if you will. So sometimes the folks think, oh, if I harvest really late, I'm still going to get more of that starch. But one, it's, it's not going to be easy to break that kernel because it's getting harder and harder, even with the kernel processing and you tie those processing rolls. There's so much you can get out of that stuff. And then the actual matrix that's formed and leads to a lower start digestibility so uh, yeah it, it's it is a challenge it is a kind of an issue in the field when you're just you know you're trying to manage and schedule everything accordingly with the producer and the uh, custom chopper but then it's it's one of those you know two things that will be an issue is there any opportunity dr schmidt for wilting do you work with any growers that try to wilt their silage when it's too wet? No, not not in terms of corn silage. Uh, just other silages or uh, legumes or uh, grasses, uh, cereal crops. So in well, yeah, legumes and grasses. We recommend 40 percent dry matter to ensile, and in terms of the maturity. It's always, you know, you try to mow before it hits that reproductive phase. So around, you know, 10th of a bloom for alfalfa or late boot stage for the grasses. And also that 35 to 40%, it's a good window in terms of the fermentation. And then we start getting on 
different types of microbial activities that we want to suppress, for instance, Clostridia. So Clostridia really likes wet conditions. So that's one of the important reasons to wilt that material. And they're everywhere. I receive a lot of samples from the labs, sample results, and you see that high contents of ash normally, so that relates to soil contamination, and the soil particles harbor some of these clostridial spores. So in this particular situation of those crops, when they say, oh, we'd rather to have a challenge when it's too wet or too dry, I, I heard this from Dr. Keith, late Dr. Keith Bolson, I would go too dry. You know, you, you, you can try to figure something out, reduce the chop length or work with some uh, chemical additive during feed out is necessary. But if it's too wet and you end up with a clostridial disaster, yeah, then there's not much what to do. Now, uh, particularly on cereal crops, you can follow the same as a, as, as a grass, which it is. So you either harvest when it's really young in terms of maturity. So there is a lot, you know, the, the contents of crude proteins really high. Uh, there is a good amount of fiber. The digestibility of that fiber is pretty high too. So you can either choose that point. That's kind of like a rocket fuel almost. But then some people also like to wait. And I see this a lot when I go to uh, Western Canada, that they do a lot of barley. And they wait until like it's more mature, just to get a little more on that starch. Because corn, corn silage is not always an option for the folks up there. So speaking of starch, I guess that's one of the things when we're looking at different silage options that corn silage has going for it. Could you speak just a little bit about what that benefit is of having that starch profile from the kernel and, and why we're really trying to hit that sweet spot. Yes. Uh, the, the, that 32 to 38% dry matter is when you see most of that accumulation and it's, let's say, has like the most potential for uh, digestibility. So there is, there is some study that was done at the University of Florida and they harvest, I think it was 30, 35, 40, 45% dry matter. And you could see that the amount of tons per acre didn't change much, but then in the end, you just start losing a little on the fiber adjustability, but also the starch adjustability, just because the kernel was, you know, as I mentioned, too hard, and you had all that matrix going on. So it's it's almost like a cement around the starch granules. And uh, it's almost like an analogy with lignin and the fiber adjustability. So this would, uh, some factors that impact this uh, starch availability, one, it's the type of hybrid. So one of the more like vitreous types of kernels, they have a lower digestibility. The moisture, so higher moisture on corn starch, or especially high moisture corn, you see more of that fermentation going on and the protein is called the, the prolamines, they start to break down and free those starch granules for digestion. So if it's a little more on the wet side, that will help with the starch digestibility, the type of hybrid, and also uh, storage length. So the, the dairy people, they, nor they normally see this, you know, they call the fall slump because that's when they change from that old silage that's been cooking for months and months and months to one sometimes that they just brought in and it's been sometimes weeks or not even that in the uh, uh, in the silo so if the producer can wait a couple of months at least 
that would make a pretty good difference. The ideal spot would be three to four months. Then you can see like this curve that it goes pretty fairly steep on the initial months. And after four or five months, it kind of slows down the curve. So the initial months would be more of an impact. And if they have like an inventory or they can do some different like piles aside, that would be very beneficial for just for this storage adjustability and the energy value of the corn silage. What's that starch bringing to the table? You know, if we were comparing like a, a small grain silage that's got, you know, a very low amount of actual starch in it, what's the benefit of that um, starch in the, the corn silage from the animal side? Yeah, on well, the corn silage, it's still a fairly uh, easily digestible source of energy. It's, it has like a high energy potential, the starch. And when you see, a, you know, a corn silage plant almost almost a half it, it's grain there is a lot of of energy it's more like a 40 45 percent i guess grains when you think of the whole uh whole plant but this will just you know in these times that margins are tight and everything is becoming harder and harder and people also are having these issues with the weather and short inventories and you have that feed that's not only easily to ensile but then you have all this energy potential that will lower your feed cost, your supplemental feed. So it's it is just like why why not to to add this corn silage as much as possible in the diet? Guess to summarize that or to wrap my mind around that, if we're thinking about starch, basically we're cramming as much energy into a small package as we can. And we want to hit that perfectly so we can break that back up and get as much energy back out of it and so we're trying to find that sweet spot where we have as much energy in there before we start to get to the point where you were talking earlier about that becoming um, undigestible and we're capturing energy that's just going to shoot out the back end of the cow eventually yes that's right we have a it's 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 kind of like an audit program like a, a a service that we offer and we do a total like profile on the silages, but then we also go through pans or, you know, check some uh, fecal consistency. We send to the lab and check the fecal starch. And sometimes we see so much that just went through the animal, you know, like you, like you said. And, uh, you know, in the end of the day, we're just trying to convert that to the animal to, you know, either make more milk or just convert more to, in terms of energy value. And some there, there are also some options depending on each operation on what they they need. And you can go for the whole plant corn silage, but you can do like a high chop and leave some material in the field if you're just trying to just proportionally have more on that energy value. Um, also, there is you know some options such as uh, snaplage or or earlage that you start leaving more and more of that you know, stover or that uh, some people say trash on the field. And ultimately, the high moisture corn, that's just, you know, purely the grains. So the, on the, with the corn plant, you have all these different uh, alternatives depending on what else is available, you know, in your neck of the woods, if you have some particular byproducts or if you have like more land to produce some other crops. So you still have all this flexibility. And even with the corn silage, you're still going to have a pretty high, uh, high energy crop. 
Our conversation with Dr. Schmidt covered more than we could jam into one episode, so you'll have to join us next time as we continue talking all things corn silage. Thank you for taking the time to listen today and for joining us on the Forage Connection.